chapter 18. And if you didn't bring um, a Bible, again, take the one out in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take the one home that's right in front of you. That is a gift to you. We want you to take it. And I shared it was only maybe about a month ago we had to order another case of them because people are taking them home. We want you to have God's word wherever you go. And as you're opening that up to Luke chapter 18, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that you are with us always. Your promise as you prepared the disciples for your death and resurrection and ascension is that you would not be absent, but that you would be with us and that you would send the advocate, the holy comforter, the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we believe that your presence is with us now. God, we pray over these holy comforters that are before us, these quilts, and we ask that they would carry your presence and awareness of your peace to all who are comforted with them. And God, would you comfort us now with your word? Uh, may it bring to us greater truth that we might discern and better understand your love for us, that we might do your will, walk in your ways, and become more like you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this then asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to begin with a question. What is one thing that you know isn't good for you, but you just can't live without? I want you to have that answer in your mind. I asked it on Facebook just a couple of days ago. I got about 50 different responses. Some of you um, are on my page there, and so you were able to share some of these. I, I won't give the names to any of them, except for one. I'm going to tell you where one of them was. Um, there were all sorts of things, things that we would answer to. Uh, pizza, ice cream, lots of ice cream. Um, energy drinks. One person said men. Cell phones. <laughs> 
the bakery in Elkhorn, the new one already made the list, television. Um, I'll go back, uh, Kathy Wright, who is a member of our church here, she answered the question is ice cream, that's her thing, the one thing that she knows isn't good for her, but she just can't live without, and she said, not only is that her thing, but she was literally sitting at Annie's Burger Town eating ice cream while she was responding to the question. And I said, I wonder how many other people were indulging in their thing at the time that they're thinking about the answer to that thing. How many of you indulged in that thing? You know it's not good for you, but you just can't give it up in the last 24 hours. Show of hands. Okay, we're all kind of in the same place. What is one good thing you know isn't good for you, but you just can't live without? We all have something. We all have probably a list of things that we do or we indulge in. We know we shouldn't. Some of them we would laugh about. Do we would tell the people around us? And then there's others that we wouldn't want anyone to know that we indulge in. But they have in common that they're things that we just can't put away. And, and the question I want to begin with is why? Why is that? And that's a question we're going to start to dive into and grapple with Today. today is the third week in a series we're calling Seasons. We're going through the Gospel of Luke and we're looking at some specific stories where Jesus brings to bear the good news of the Gospel that he came to bring in a specific season in life. And today we're talking about youth, but that doesn't sound, it's a little bit of a misnomer because it isn't just about youth. And in some ways we can all relate to what we're about to find. And so let's dive into this story again. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Let's read just the first verse. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I start there because that's the question the rest of the passage is going to try and answer. The story is an important one. It's repeated in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you take all of the accounts, you'll get some different details from each one. We know that he's a ruler here. We know in all three that he is very wealthy. We find out in one of the other accounts that he is young. And all of it summarizes to us that this man really has everything that anyone wants. He has power, he has money, and he has youth. It's, it's Psalm 21 is, is what came to my mind. King David, when he says, The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him his heart's desires and have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. This is what came to my mind as I was thinking about this rich young ruler. This man has everything and he has an entire lifetime before him to enjoy it. And yet, the Gospel of Mark points out that it's the same man that comes to Jesus and falls on his knees and asks him the question all of us want to know the answer to at some point in our lives. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit, say it with me, eternal Life And what we learn right here, first page in my sermon, that might be the most important thing that we're going to learn here, is that even the best things in life have limits. 
Even the best things in life have limits. If you don't believe me, think about something, anything in your life that you don't think has limits. For example, just this week I was talking to my kids. Um, They were asking questions about the old days back when our cell phones had limits. Remember, remember the days where you'd have to sign up for a plan based on a certain number of minutes that you could use, you know, back when people used phones as phones. And, and then after that, you know, text messaging came about, and so you would purchase a bucket of text messages. You could send X amount of messages, and then they got really generous, and they let those things roll over, right? But you still had that, that limit. And then data came about, and you purchased megabytes, and then eventually gigabytes. Now, everything's unlimited. But if you look at the fine print, you'll see that that's not really true either. If you go over a certain usage threshold, your phone will slow down. And the reason why is because the infrastructure that supports your phone has limits. And even if that's not true, your usage is going to be limited to your time. It's going to be limited to the amount of battery life that you have on that phone or the simple reality that when you pulled it out, you started doom scrolling, you got that dopamine hit, and eventually it doesn't quite hit you the same way it did when you first pulled it out. Why? Because even the best things in life have limits. And I think we would all agree that a phone is a bad example of the best thing in life, we have a love hate relationship with our technology. And so let's pick a different example. How about, how about your kids? How about your spouse? If you're married, last, last weekend I, I was within a 24 hour period. I was part of both a wedding ceremony and a funeral. And we had church in between those two things. And it's not, not the first time that that's happened for me. But when it happens for me, it's always a sobering reality to me that both of those experiences, both of those scenarios, both of those services are a sobering reminder of our limitations. In a wedding, it might be less obvious, but if you remember the vows, you'll see what I'm talking about. They're all a commitment in the midst of our limitations. Take a look at the vows we often use. I take you to be my spouse. These things I promise you, I will be faithful to you and honest with you. I will respect and trust, help and care for you. I will forgive you as we have been forgiven through the best and the worst of what is to come as long as we both shall live. What I see as I look at those commitments are limits. Look at all the limits, right? You're going to need help, right? You're going to need forgiveness. You're going to need to forgive one another. We're making a public profession that I'm entering this covenant of marriage already having had made mistakes and needing forgiveness. We commit in the midst of that, not just to the best, but to the worst of what is to come, as long as we both shall live, or in the more traditional way we might say it, until death does us part, right? Because, say it with me, even the best things in life have limits. That's a wedding, but then we get to a funeral. What's a funeral? It's the ultimate service 
of limitation. A, a Christian funeral, and I say this all the time to families, its intent is to be a celebration of life. We celebrate the life of the person who has gone before us, and we celebrate the resurrection hope that they are not gone. They are just no longer here. But how often does a funeral feel like anything but a celebration? And the reason why is because, say it with me, even the best things in life have limits. And when we're saying goodbye to someone that we would define as the best thing in life, it, it doesn't make sense. And that brings us back to the story of the rich young ruler. This guy, he's got everything, right? He's got everything, but everything he has is limited. And so he's wise beyond his years. So wise that he asks Jesus to do the one thing that he can't do, to inherit the one thing he cannot inherit. He asks Jesus to lift the limits. He wants to experience the fullness of life that he's already experiencing forever. He doesn't want the best things in life to end, like I don't want my ice cream to end. I don't want my coffee to end. He doesn't want the best things in life to end. How many of you don't want the best things in life to end? You ever watched a movie and it was so good and you know it can't go on forever? Have you ever watched a, a television show, any of This Is Us fans? I know that's a little cheesy for a guy to get up and say that. I thought that was such a great show. I was really sad when it ended. The best things in life come to an end. He doesn't want the best things in life to come to an end. And so he comes to Jesus, and he asks him to lift the limit. And verse 19, Jesus answers him by saying, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Essentially, Jesus answers the question with a question by asking him, Who do you think that I am? Who do you think that I am? That I have the potential to offer you anything that you don't already have. You already have everything. And then he proves as much when he says to him, Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall honor your father and mother. And the man says, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Now, I read that list. How many of us can say we've kept all of those commandments since last Tuesday? <laughs> and he's kept it since he was a boy. And I read that part, and I think, man, this story would be a whole lot easier if I could just hate this guy. <laughs> if this guy was a jerk. If this guy had made all kinds of mistakes, but he hasn't. This is not disputed here. He hasn't cheated on his wife. He, he hasn't killed anybody. He doesn't steal. He doesn't stab people in the back. He calls his mom every single Sunday just to say hello. He does all of these things, and he's done all of these things since he was a boy. He didn't have a bad streak. He has been a good man for as long as he can remember. He has been successful in all of the ways that a person can be successful. But what have we learned? Say it with me. Even the best things in life have limits. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to the man, you're still lacking one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this is genius. It's genius. Jesus looks at this man, and essentially he says to him, you can have 
You have all of the best things that life has to offer. You have all of it, and you can have all of it, but all of it has a limit. And so if you want what I came to bring, I'll show you where to find it. Meet me at the limit. Come to the line. Meet me at the place where you don't have the greatest things in life anymore. And it makes me think about the place that I most often look for Jesus, right? It's the moments that I'm up against my limit. It's the moment that I've messed up, where I've screwed up, where I've run dry. It's in those moments that I don't have anything left to give. And I need to hear that message that says that Jesus meets me in that place. And he does meet me in that place. And he meets you in that place too. But that's not the story that we're reading today. That's not where this guy is. He is not depleted. Here, Jesus invites this man to give up the good things. He invites him to give up the potential. He gives him the invitation to give up everything he has already gathered so that he will not spend the rest of his life learning the hard way that everything he's living for, as good as it is, will come to an end. And what a cruel day that that's going to be if he believes that the greatest things in life are found in those things. See, Jesus is pushing him as if to say that if you want to take hold of the hope that the best in life is yet to come. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's thrown out all the time, right? The best in life is yet to come. If you actually want to believe that to be true, you have to let go of your belief that the best in life is found in today. And, and nobody wants to hear that at a wedding, right? But everybody wants to hear it at a funeral. Everybody wants to know that at a funeral, don't they? If we believe at a funeral that the best of somebody's life has already passed and it's over forever because they're dead, that's hopeless, isn't it? And it's precisely why the message of hope in Jesus is so important in that particular moment. When somebody dies, what they have essentially done is they have given up everything. And it's in that moment that we have to believe that they've received something else, something even greater than only Jesus can give, something that will never be taken away. And where my mind went when I thought about that was John chapter 10. There's this heated scene between Jesus and some religious leaders, and he's fleshing out what he came to be for you and for me, what he came to do. He says he is the good shepherd, And he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, the thing the young rich ruler wants to have. He said, I give it to them and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. But the challenge is that in order to be received by Jesus, you have to give up what you've been holding on to. Or maybe more accurately, you have to give up what you have been allowing to hold you instead. And that brings us back to the rich young ruler, verse 23, when when Jesus told this guy to go and sell everything and give it to the poor, he heard this, and it says he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And I want to challenge us all. Don't judge him 
right now. <laughs> we all want to judge him, don't we, right? We all want to judge him, but are we not all held by the safety of the best things in life around us? I mean, just ask yourself, are you not held on some level by the safety of the money that you have in your bank accounts or the job that you hold on to or, or the achievements that you have achieved or the relationships that you find comfort with in? This is why it's the same issue that we deal with. This is why you and I, we, we can't even give up the things that we know are not good for us. You know why that is? Because at a deeper, more brutally honest level, we don't believe we can survive without them. I don't believe that I can survive the day without a cup of coffee. I don't believe it. I really, truly don't. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner, guys. I, I wake up in the morning. If I run out of coffee, I get in the car and I go to McDonald's and I buy some. Like, I, I just, I need it, right? I don't believe that God would sustain my life without it. And yet, every time we read this story, every time we read it, I know for me, I want to jump to all kinds of judgment. I look at this guy, and I think of him as like a filthy rich pig. And I think, my goodness, here he is in front of Jesus. And this guy can't give up. He's got everything. He can't give it up for Jesus. What little faith does this guy have? And yet I look at the gospel account of the story and, and it shows us that's the wrong response because he's not a jerk. He's not selfish. He's followed all of the commands. He's a better guy than I'm ever going to be. And, and then you say, well, but doesn't the Bible say that it's, it's inherently sinful to be rich? And it doesn't. And it's like Luke wants us to know that. If you go to Luke chapter 19, just one chapter after, you'll meet a guy named Zacchaeus. Does anybody remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was rich. And he is confronted with the gospel of Jesus. And his response is twofold. He goes and, he set, he goes and pays back anybody he's taken advantage of with interest. And then he sells half of his possessions. And Jesus says that salvation has come upon his house. Well, guess what? If you're rich and you sell half of what you have, guess what? You're still rich. You're still rich. You think Jeff Bezos isn't still rich even though he split everything with his wife when they got divorced? They're both rich. This guy's still rich. There's nothing inherently sinful about being rich. The rich young ruler was sad for the same reason I'm sad when I open up the cupboard and there's no coffee left. He was sad because Jesus, he said, I want eternal life. And he said, okay. And Jesus teleported him. You know, think about a movie, right, where you're teleported to a time in the future. He teleported the man to the day, someday, where he's going to go. Someday where all of us are going to find ourselves. This place where money can no longer buy your hope. Power can no longer force your privilege. And good behavior cannot earn your salvation. Jesus meets him in that place, but he's got to take him to that place to show him that that's where he is. And it's in that place that Jesus says, I'm waiting for you. I am waiting for you with treasure from heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. This man asks Jesus for eternal life, and Jesus responds by saying that if you don't want to wait until you learn this lesson the hard way because it will be forced on you when you get cancer or when you go through bankruptcy 
or when you go through death or when you get divorced or when you make a mistake or when you do this or when you do that. If you don't want to wait until that inevitably comes upon you, there is a way to learn it now. There is a way to experience the hope of God right now. Sell everything today and find that you'll find everything in me. Come, follow me. And he's sad. And of course he's sad. Just like you're sad. And I'm sad when I have to give up the best things in life. We, guys, we can't even give up the things we know are not good for us. Most of us can't even comprehend having at our disposal what this man had, let alone having to give it all away. Don't judge him. Jesus doesn't judge him. We shouldn't judge him either. Verse 24, Jesus looks at him, looks at him. Think about Jesus looking at the man. And he says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that sounds really hopeless. And it sounded hopeless to everybody that was watching this unfold. They even said it, verse 26, those who heard this said, then who can be saved? If this man who has everything can't bring himself to do it, and, and I'm over here and, and I don't even have enough self-will to stop drinking Diet Coke and eating chocolate and doom scrolling on my cell phone, even though I know that it's telling me that I am less than the child of God, that God is telling me and I'm feeling envious and anxious and it's filling my mind with all kinds of thoughts and I'm seeing all these political advertisers I mean, come on, are they really going to change your mind at this point, right? And yet I keep going back to it and I do it over and over and over again. If I can't even stop eating ice cream... <laughs> Then what hope is there for me? Verse 27, Jesus replied, What is impossible for man is possible with God. And there's the hope right there. Friends, if this was a story where the gospel writers and Jesus lifted up this rich young girl, if you were going to pick a model Christian, somebody you wanted your daughters to marry, your sons to be like, if, if, if you were to pick someone, it would be the rich young ruler. And yet that's not what the gospel writer does. Because if Jesus lifted this man up as our model example of a Christian, here's what would happen. No one would ever be a Christian. <laughs> No one would ever become a Christian because none of us are as good as him, are we? He was better than King David. We have history that shows us how much King David broke the commands. This guy didn't break the commands. He's better than him. He's better than all of the disciples that Jesus called to follow him. He's better than every single one. Look at what Peter says, verse 28. Peter said to Jesus, we left all we have to follow you. In other words, he says to Jesus, look, we had nothing left to offer you. We had nothing to begin with, but we left the nothing we had behind. And we never had what this guy had. We're never going to have what this guy has. And we can't offer it to you. And so if this guy can't do it, then how can we? Verse 29, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life and right there is the gift the gift that the rich young ruler came to ask Jesus for all along eternal life Jesus says are you in a place right now ask yourself this question are you in a place right now where you have left or lost everything that says that you're already there to receive the hope that is found in him 
Are you in a situation where you have hit the end of your rope, the end of your ability to earn your way? Then you are invited to follow him and lean into his arms and learn that when you lean into him, he will prove to be more faithful and more willing and more able than anything you've ever leaned into instead. Because while the best things in life have their limits, the story of Easter is that Jesus came to overcome those limits by overcoming the limit of death itself. And he came to invite us into that limitless life when he tells us to come and follow me. And maybe the best part of that verse, if you look at the back there, is not only are we going to experience that in the age to come, but we will experience it now when we hold the things in this world a little bit more looser, knowing that they are limited and at the same time they draw us to be reminded of the unlimitless love and gifts that come from our Father in heaven. And so let's invite the Spirit of God to allow us to maybe enter into this place in a deeper way than we did when we came. I want to invite you now as our musicians come up to, to close your eyes and let's join together as we pray.